This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. And what are these things? Some of them the song mentions love, joy, peace, and there are many, many others. Kids can be released. Go with Maddie to Kids Church if you like. But the important thing to understand is what comes first and what the process is after that. And so um, our... Our focus for a little bit is going to be on process, and that's a word that we use pretty frequently. Um, going to sort of take a different approach to it for a little while. And the word follow, as I said before, is very, very important uh, in understanding how this process works. So um, they're going to put up on the screen there first scripture that I read to open the service, which is from John chapter 10. And we're going to look specifically at verses 7 through 10. Now, if you have, if you're a believer, if you've been in church any at all, really, you've heard this. This is not going to be unfamiliar to you. This is one of the most uh, common and popular scriptures that there is in the New Testament. And it says, therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and to have it to the full, or as King James Bible says, have it more abundantly. So... That part that says that he has come that we might have life and have it more abundantly is one of those promises that we love to grab a hold of as Christian people. And we love to claim that as ours and we develop a dependence that that's really going to happen in our lives, hopefully, because it's appropriate to do that. We understand that the thief or the enemy comes to steal from us. What's he trying to steal? He's trying to steal our purpose. He's trying to steal our vision. He's trying to steal um, the reason for which God has placed us on the earth at this point in history. He's trying to take all that away. He's trying to alter it, adjust it, pervert it in some way that will cause it to not be realized in its purity and in its fullness the way God has intended for it to. He's also come to kill. Now, that can literally, I guess, mean to kill us physically. But it also can mean to kill a lot of other things, those things that we sang about just now, uh, peace. The enemy is trying to kill our peace. He's trying to steal it and kill it. He's trying to steal and kill our joy. He's trying to rob us and to kill the opportunity we have to understand God's righteousness and to live in it. He's come to steal and to kill and to to destroy all those things. Anything 
related to what the Father has intended for us, the enemy is the antithesis to that and is there to try to steal that from us and kill it and to destroy it ultimately. And there's nothing more tragic than to witness a life that has been impacted by the murderous and destructive tactics of the enemy and it has actually worked. He has done his job. He's been successful in the stealing and the killing and the destroying. That's, that's a tragic life. When you witness that life, that, in my opinion, is the ultimate tragedy. Um, and you may be able to find salvation late in life after having lived in a way that's produced that, but you'll never find complete redemption for everything that was lost too much damage you know so it's, it's kind of a damage done scenario <clears throat> that's the contrast though here's what the thief has come to do but the other side of that is Jesus says I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly and that's the one we love to grab a hold of Jesus came that I can have life and that I can have it more abundantly and abundant means, if we go to the next screen, i got the definition of it. Abundant means plentiful, ample, abounding, generous, and large. How many of you want to have that kind of life? Well, if you don't, you should. Because we should have a desire to have all there is for us. For it to be as big as God has designed for it to be. I want my life to be big. I want it to be huge. And listen, listen, we can't misinterpret what that means. It doesn't necessarily mean that everybody knows my name. It doesn't necessarily mean that um, I'm going to be on television or in the bright lights or make piles of money or anything like that. I know people who lived really, really big, full, impactful, generous, ample, abundant lives who were really poor. Give you one example out of many, many, many we could talk about today. And you know some of them too. There's a lady in Nicaragua. I did some mission trips to Nicaragua back in the early 2000s, took groups down there. And um, we connected with a Nicaraguan lady named Miss Ruby. And she was probably 65, 70 years old. She's about that tall. She's about as big around as she was tall. And um, just a, a very simple, very poor, very modest Nicaraguan lady. And she lived in a really, really awful neighborhood. Gang violence going on every night outside her doors. Gangs, and they didn't have guns, but they had rocks, and they you know, rocks pelting the side of her house. Nobody had glass windows there because, it was, you know, they had these wooden louvers that you would open and close because the glass is just going to get broken. So she lives in a terrible place. If you walk out on her porch and look across in the distance, what you saw was the Managua City garbage dump. And the smell was awful and the flies were terrible. And it was notorious for... Um, the, the poor families that lived around the dump and set up tents and makeshift uh, shelters out of old cardboard and old wood and scraps and tin that they'd pick up and they'd build themselves a shack 
uh, for shelter. And the reason they like to be near the garbage dump is so they could get access to stuff from the dump when the trucks came in and dumped it. So food, clothes, whatever was in the dump, whatever was in the garbage. And another terrible part of the story was that there were families, parents there who would sell off uh, their young daughters in prostitution to the truck drivers who would come in in order to get first pick from the garbage that came out of the truck. That, that was the environment that we were in. That's the environment that Miss Ruby lived in every day. Now, I've got problems and you've got problems, but I don't have that kind of problem. And I, I'm way too guilty of complaining. Anybody done any complaining about the rain recently? I have confession time. And I've been checked up a couple times in my spirit because I know people whose entire lives were turned upside down and destroyed in October by a hurricane that came up through Florida and into South Georgia. I don't have anything to complain about in regards to that. I know people who've lost their homes, lost loved ones, lost everything they own, who who had their families buried in mudslides in other countries. And I, you know, I know a lot of terrible stories, and I'm, I'm quick to complain. A lot of us are, but we need to keep in our minds that there are people out there who have it a whole lot worse than we do. Miss Ruby was one of those people. But I tell you what, there was a reason we went to Miss Ruby's house every time we were in Nicaragua. And that was because we knew that we were going to be blessed. You'd think it'd be the other way, right? Let's go visit this poor, um, unfortunate Nicaraguan lady who's living in gangland and staring at the garbage dump every time she walks out of her uh, house and is witnessing all sorts of atrocities. Let's go bless her. Let's go. No, we went to her house to get blessed. We went to her house to get prayed for. We went to her, to her house for her to speak words of encouragement and prophetic words that would help us. And she would sit in her rocking chair and her feet about that far off the ground with a guitar on her belly, lay, leaning back like this, and just play that guitar and sing and worship and praise and encourage and she'd finish a song and she'd point at somebody and say come here just kneel down right here and you'd kneel down in front of her she'd put her hand on your head and buddy she would start praying and I'd never been in environments of more powerful prayer and prophecy in my life that is a big life that's an abundant life that's that's measuring things in your life by something other than how much money you have, how big your retirement account is, what size your home is, what kind of car you drive. It's, it's measuring things according to a kingdom measuring stick. It's measuring things based on eternity and not just the here and now. And when Miss Ruby passed away, it was, there were masses of people both Nicaraguan and people who traveled from afar from foreign countries to be there to celebrate her life because her life was so big so we got to know what we got to know what the qualifiers are 
We have to know what, what we're supposed to be using to measure the size and the quality and the impact of our lives is. We, we, we have to have the right perspective. And as people, as human beings, we tend to measure nearly everything by two things. We tend to measure them by time and by money. And here's the problem with that. Problem is, is that God doesn't measure anything by time or money. But we measure almost everything by time or money. And our goal and our mission in this kingdom walk ultimately should be to get to the point where we have a perspective more like God's than more like man's. So that we start to measure things from an eternal perspective. God didn't worry about time. You know, how many people can you point to in the scripture that were relatively old by the time anything significant spiritually happened in their lives? Or at least by the time the most significant spiritual thing happened in their lives. Because with him, it's not an issue of whether obedience happens and results happen when you're young or when you're old. The issue is, are they going to happen? Are they going to happen? Are you going to walk in obedience to the extent that when that time, when that season is ripe in front of you, you're going to be positioned for God to create those results out of you. So abundant, plentiful, ample, abounding, generous, large. Th th these are the words that describe the kind of life that, we, that, is, that is available to us and the kind that we should desire. And for all of us, there's more. There's more. Let's go to John 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you, so that you also may be where I am. You know, listen to this. Uh, you know, people give Thomas a hard time, but I kind of like the guy. Listen, he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. And then Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, very, very familiar words to us, but there is so much in that that we need to make sure we've gotten a hold of. And to be honest with you, this is so poignant and so powerful that I hope I can articulate it in a way that gets the job done. <laughs> it's going to require the help of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Thomas says, listen, and, and I'm so glad Thomas said this. He's given a nickname, Doubting Thomas, and that throws a negative, you know, uh, shadow on him. 
And there's a, another time or two where he asks questions or says things that put him in the category of doubting. But you know what? To me, it's more like wondering. To me, it's more like searching. To me, it's more like wanting to make sure you understand it. To me, it's like, um, I bet you money, there were other people in the room, there were other people listening to the council of Christ who had questions, who wondered about it and probably had a little strain of doubt going through their hearts and minds. But Thomas was the one who was bold enough to speak up and say it. Bold enough to say, I don't get it. Help me. Teach me. Show me. He says to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. What a great confession. What a great acknowledgement. I really think it would be a good idea. Every day if I get up in the mornings and acknowledge and confess to the Lord that I'm not going to be so presumptuous as to declare that I know everything you're doing and everywhere you're going. Because if I do that, then I'm going to start to formulate a plan to address that pathway. Because that's what we do as human beings, that's what we do. I think it would be a much better idea to get up in the mornings and say, Lord, I know who you are, but I really don't know fully where you're going today. But here's what I commit. Wherever it is you're going, I'm lined up to follow. Thomas says, how, how can we follow you? How can we know the way when we don't know where you're going? And Jesus really, and, and you can wrap it up you can pretty much wrap it up right here. The truth is right here. The absolute full composition of who Jesus is and why He came to this earth is right here. We can talk about it in a lot of different ways. We can approach it from different angles. We can pull other stuff into it. But you don't have to go any further than right here to discover who He is and why He came to this earth. He answers Thomas and he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. End of story. Now, I'm convinced that what's going on in our world and what's going on in the lives of human beings, both individually and in groups, whether the groups are small or large, is that everybody, listen, listen, this is powerfully important. Everybody is trying to get to God. Well, Jeff, how can that be? These people out here acting the fool, using drugs, drunks, involved in all sorts of illicit sexual activity and perversions. So many people just living in open and outright rebellion, worshiping other gods. We've talked so much about how we're not supposed to have any other gods before him. And there are all kinds of people who have other gods before him. And you're telling me that they're trying to get to God by living that way? Yes. That's what we're doing. 
we're trying to get to God. Every, every behavior, good and bad, is a grasp to try to get to God, to try to find God, to try to discover Him. Do we know that's what we're doing? Usually not. We don't know that's what we're doing. Every human being, listen, when the, when the scripture talks about how we're all born into sin, the way that I picture that is, is that every one of us has a hole, a gap, a space in their spirit. And that space is shaped like God. You get it? It is a God-shaped space. And so what do we do? Early on, we start reaching for stuff to fill up the space. What do we reach for? We reach for love and acceptance. Who is the ultimate author of love and acceptance? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation, no shadow of turning, no contradiction, no nonsense, no carnality. Every good gift comes from Him and love and acceptance are good gifts. We're all reaching, grasping, pulling, trying to find something to fill up the space. And every time we experience adversity or loss, or disappointment and hardship, it, it stirs up. I don't think it makes the space bigger. I don't, think it, I don't think it alters the shape of the space. But what it does is it gives us a more keen understanding and knowledge and feeling that that space is there. I'm preaching to me if nobody else, and, and this is going to help me, and I hope it will help you. There's a void. There's a chasm. And I'm not just talking about sinners. I'm talking about Christian people sometimes. That, that they still feel this emptiness, and they're still reaching and grabbing and grasping, trying to fill up the space. And so if somebody disappoints you in life, Somebody in your family lets you down. Somebody, somebody violates trust. Somebody causes brokenness to happen in you that aggravates and highlights the space that's in you. And so what do a lot of people do? They reach out and start grabbing stuff to try to fill up that space because they're keenly aware that the space is there. This is the reason for drug addiction is because people are reaching to fill up a God-shaped hole with something that's not shaped like God. This is the reason for alcoholism. This is the reason for extramarital affairs. This is the reason for so many things that we do and so many ways that we behave is that we are reaching out. Why do you think so many young girls these days end up out here involved with all kinds of boys, all kinds of terrible people and get their lives mixed up before their lives really even get started? Because something is missing, there's a void, there's a gap, and they're trying to fill it up. 
The only thing, y'all, that can fill up a God-shaped hole is God. It's the only thing. And we are all trying to get to Him. I'm convinced of it. It's, it's one of the most powerful truths I think I've ever landed on in my life is that this is what we're doing. This is what we're doing as individuals. It's what we're doing as families. It's what we're doing as churches. It's what we're doing as businesses. It's what we're doing as countries. We are trying to find God because God is far away. It all started when people who lived in a place where God was always there. Adam and Eve didn't need. What did they need in the garden? Nothing. They didn't need anything. Why? Not because the fruits and vegetables were awesome. Not because the climate was perfect. Not because the scenery and the landscape was gorgeous. Not because of the gentle breezes and the warm waters and the wildlife and everything around them. Ultimately, those are products of what God did. The reason they didn't need anything else is because God was there. There was no void. But then they made a decision that drove them out away from Him. And starting in that moment, at that very second, this space was created in the human spirit because human beings no longer had access immediately every day to God. And then we start grasping. Why does Cain kill his brother? Because he's got a God-shaped hole in his spirit. And he's reaching for ways to fill up the hole and the ways are not working and he's dissatisfied. And grow, growing up out of spiritual dissatisfaction becomes sin. The sin of jealousy, which turns into anger, which becomes murder. And it all starts with a God-shaped hole that he tried to fill up with something besides God. Wow. Jesus comes along and sort of casually in a conversation one day says to the people, listen, I know what you're reaching for. I know what you're grasping for. I know why you built this religious system. You're trying to get to God. I know why you argue among yourselves and why you create factions based on your own ideas. You're trying to get to God. I get that. Pardon me while I speak for Jesus. I, I just believe this is what was in his heart. You're trying to get to God. He doesn't issue a statement to them about getting to God unless he understands, of course, that that's what they're trying to do. You're trying to get to God. And then he tells them how to do it. He says, I am 
the way and the truth and the life and no one gets to God unless they come through me. So whatever blend of religion that you um, hear about, see, or allow to creep into your own life, that's a dangerous place to be because you try to insert a polluted and perverted version of what belongs in the God-shaped hole and you're going to end up worse off than if you'd have just left the hole empty. That's what Revelation 3 means when it talks about lukewarmness. Don't try to formulate some sort of a God recipe that has God in it, but I think it'd be better if we pulled some other things in it. Even Adam, right? They didn't try to toss God out. They tried to add to God. Let's, bring, let's keep him here, but let's add a few other things into the mix. That's what they were convinced to do by the deceiver. Yeah, God's fine, wonderful, worship him. He created you. It's your father, he loves you, he cares about you. There's nothing wrong with what he's trying to tell you to do. Except that you've misunderstood one part of it, and that is that you won't surely die if you eat of the fruit of that tree. As a matter of fact, what's going to happen is you're going to add some stuff in to the whole recipe that's going to make it even better for you. Dangerous, risky place to be. And Jesus clears all that up and says, there's one person, I, and me. There are no other persons listed in that statement who are responsible for helping us get into the heart of the Father. Only Him. Well, I'm going to have to cut this off after having got through part of the first point. Um, but let me let me just visit where we're going a little bit, although I don't really know exactly where we're going, but because I'm kind of like Thomas, we're going to follow. And the word follow is huge because follow requires that the self-confidence go out the window. And follow requires that we stop depending on us and our own brilliant ideas and understand that our best idea is only good enough to kill us. Okay, follow means dropping the pride. Follow means there is no such thing anymore as my plan. Follow means a very clear understanding that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that the only way for me to get into the heart of the Father is through Him. And follow is daily. Follow really is minute by minute. Taking every thought captive and declaring redirections when redirections are called for. What do I mean by that? Well, if you're like me, even within the last 24 hours probably, 
you've had a thought that really was a destructive thought and really shouldn't be there. And so when those thoughts come, because everything starts with a thought, right? Nobody's ever been killed. Nobody's ever been robbed. Nobody's ever gone to war except that it started with a thought. And when the thought comes, we have a choice in front of us. Am I going to feed and nurture this thought or am I going to redirect it? I actually started a few days saying the word redirect out loud. That's if You might want to find a word or use that word. It's helping me that when the, the wrong thought comes, when the negative thought comes, I just check myself up and say redirect, and I say it out loud. Intentional, purposeful redirection of the thinking. There's some people in here that needed that. And when we do that, we're following. Following. I don't, you know, they, they say, and there's a Ford commercial out now, I think, that says, if you're not the lead dog, the scenery never changes. Y'all get that? So, that's all good, but in my world, I don't want to be the lead dog. And I'm okay with the scenery not changing, because I know, you know, the scenery for me is going to be a little bit different than if I'm a second or third dog down the road. I'm good with following him. I'm good with hearing his words and doing what he says. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with not being the leader. I might lead in some sense of the word, but I am not the man. I'm not the leader. He is. We have to commit to follow. And then we'll just finish up by setting the table for the days to come with this. this the order that Jesus presents this statement in is really, really important. His answer is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody gets to the Father except through me. So listen, there's a progression there that requires a big, big commitment to process. There's that word again. Because what we want, what we're after is the life. God is life. To say that God is what we're reaching for is the same to, as to say that life is what we're reaching for because God is life and life is God and he's the author of life and he's the only entity ever that has created life from nothing. What we're after is the life but we can pray all day long and say, Father, give me true life, abundant life. And it's not going to happen if we have not committed ourselves to the way. So next time we get together, I'm not going to be here next Sunday. I'll be in Jamaica next weekend. But the following week, we're going to deal with the way. And it may take more than one week. But I want you to be thinking about it. I want you to be studying on it and praying over it in, your, in terms of your own spot in the kingdom and in this world. 
Because there is this way that is going to take us to God, which is ultimately where we're trying to get to. But we have to start on the way to discover the truth, and then we're going to get to God, right? So actually you could do it as a mathematical formula that way plus truth equals life, and it starts with way. It starts with the way. Um, salvation is free. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. No question about that. But in the instant that we're saved, what's supposed to happen, and very often this doesn't happen, and that's why you don't see fruit in Christian people's lives. The instant that we're saved, we step through a gate. Remember Jesus' story about the sheep and the gate? We step through a gateway. And what is our responsibility then to just plop down and say, well, we got it. I'm saved, bless God, I'm on my way to heaven. How many testimony services you ever been in? If you grew up in churches like I did, you heard it all the time. People stand up, I want to thank God for saving me, sanctifying me, baptizing me in the Holy Ghost and setting my feet on a path to heaven. And in my mind, what that says is, they got it. They're done. But it leaves out the way. Right? Because when we step through that gate, then what we're looking at is this really, really awesome, challenging, yes, filled with obstacles and potential booby traps, yes. But this cool pathway this roadway that is headed into the heart of God. And it's the kingdom way. And along the way as we travel and we commit ourselves to it and recommit ourselves to it every day, we discover little bits of truth. Little bits of truth that start to add up until little bits become bigger bits and become more and more. And we grow and we mature and we gain understanding and we gain wisdom and we gain knowledge. And pretty soon, this fuzzy picture of God starts to open up in front of us and little by little, that fuzz is going to clear up as we keep walking the way and absorbing the truth. Amen. Father, thank You for what Jesus is telling us and talking to us about and showing us. And we, we spent some time in the life of David, but David kept pointing us to Jesus, and now here we are with him. Here we are with him. And he is telling us that he is the way and the truth and the life and that nobody can get what they're after. Nobody can get into the heart of the Father unless they come through him. So I make a commitment for myself. I make a commitment for this house. And I pray that every individual here would make a commitment for themselves today. That they are committing to Him, to His way, all the time, minute by minute. And I repent again that we've so often tried to do it our way. We just want to walk in Your way. I pray that You would this week individually with us open up what that way looks like and prod us by your Holy Spirit to take new steps in the adventure 
and to look for you and to stop focusing so much on just the circumstances of what's going on in our lives. To focus on you and to listen for your voice. I pray for those who are not here because they're sick or they're unable to be here for some reason that just because they weren't here today doesn't mean that you won't go and teach them by your Holy Spirit because when Jesus promised the Comforter, He said, I will send Him to remind you of all the things that I've said. So fill up the rooms where they are. And for the sick, for Cheryl, for Miss Faye, for Kendall, for uh, Sister Ruby, um, for ladies who are in the nursing homes, for all the ones who are suffering and struggling with financial difficulties and problems in their families and relationships and rebellious children. We need you. We need God to show up and fill up those voids. And we're going to look for that to happen as we walk in your way. We love you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.